All right, it's the week of July 4th, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm yours, Patrick Ojay, and today we're going to talk about Israel Adesanya's fighting style. Is it bad for business? The middleweight champion had a lackluster performance at UFC 276, a lot of criticism from fans and media alike, some defending Adesanya, but we're going to talk about how those types of fights affect the UFC and ESPN's bottom line, if they affect it at all, and what it means for Izzy's star power and drawing power going forward. Then we're going to talk about Endeavor buying OpenBet. It's a sports data aggregation platform, and they're getting it at a 33% discount compared to when they announced they were acquiring the company um, not that long ago. I'll explain what happened there, what the purpose of this acquisition is, and what it means for Endeavor. Then we have to talk about PFL salaries or disclosed purses being revealed. A lot of big numbers coming out, uh, especially for Anthony Pettis and Kayla Harrison. We're going to talk about what that means from a business perspective, as well as if there's some other money maybe and incentives that aren't captured and how it affected free agency, specifically Kayla Harrison's. Uh, We'll do a quick hits uh, over a couple of items that have come up over the past couple weeks. And then lastly, we'll cap everything off with a fan question about whether or not ESPN is working with PFL to hedge their bets in case they lose the UFC streaming rights when when that is up so lots of great stuff to do today i am sick as a dog so it's going to be shorter and i may cough and sneeze and i apologize for all that but uh with that in mind timestamps at the bottom let's go ahead and dive right in all right so i thought i'd start off today's episode with a question that i'm sure won't be polarizing in any way and that is is israel adesanya's fighting style bad for business now up front let's get this out of the way right now i'm not saying Izzy is a bad fighter. On the contrary, he is a fantastic fighter. He may go down as one of, if not the best, middleweight in MMA of all time. That is still yet to be seen. But that being said, we are talking about how his fighting style affects the company he works for, bottom line, as well as his own bottom line and drawing power. And in order to evaluate this, you have to go back to something we haven't talked about in a while on this podcast, which is what makes a superstar, right? What allows someone to break through from the realm of being known in MMA to being known by the casual viewer and draw in the casual audience? My opinion, three main criteria. One, you have to win. You just have to continually win until you get to that breakthrough level. Once you once you really cross over, you can take a couple losses, especially if it's competitive, that type of stuff. You, sure, but on the rise to being a crossover star, you have to be dominant and you have to win. You just you just cannot lose. So that's first off. Izzy has accomplished that. That's a check. Two, you have to have a personality. Love him or hate him. Uh is he has a personality. He gets a genuine reaction out of fans. You have several fans who, and media who go to bat for him. Like nobody's business. Absolutely love him. Call him the greatest of all time already. You have a lot of fans who say he's cringe and that he's, you know, cocky and arrogant and all this stuff. Again, love him or hate him. He's getting a reaction. He has enough of a personality. It's capturing the attention of people. I would say that's a check mark for Izzy as well. The third... And 
arguably most important, you have to put on exciting fights. You have to have knockouts. You have to have wars where you still come out with a dominant finish uh, or, you know, submissions. If you look at previous crossover stars in the past, Ronda, um, Connor, John Jones, on their way up, they were finishing people nonstop, right? I mean, that's that's how they became these big name stars. And then when they got the belt, they finished people several times. And that kind of just, you know, I mean, that, that's just how it went. I, I believe Ronda just finished everybody until she lost, until she was finished. And same with McGregor, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I know he... he Fought a decision to Max Holloway initially, but then once his star started to rise, you know, that's that's part of it. You have to put on exciting fights. Izzy did that in the run-up to get the belt. Um, didn't finish Tavares, but I think, you know, he finished Brunson. Uh, finished, uh, he had the war with Gastelum that he won. And that was, you know, as good as a finish, essentially. Um, he, he finished... Fair amount of people once he got once the attention was on him. I mean, you had the first Vittori fight that wasn't that great. Um, let me see here. Let me look through his record. Uh, yeah, he had Rob Wilkinson. He finished uh, the Derek Brunson. Well, and then Anderson Silva, which is kind of lackluster, right? But then had that war with Gaslam. Finished Whitaker for the belt, and then. Not a great decision against Romero, but then finishes Costa and then decisions. So Izzy has been one of those where he has not had that dominance that we've seen, say, Connor or Ronda, which partially explains, I would say, why he um, he probably hasn't been as much of a crossover star, right? He is not a household name. He is not going on talk shows or, you know, getting a lot of mainstream attention. He is in, in, in Australia, New Zealand, from what I understand. And rightfully so. Right. Um, home country kind of backing, but in terms of making that final leap, he was never quite there. He was drawing a lot. He had enough of the personality. He was drawing a, a fair amount of, you have those seven tiers of fans that the UFC evaluates. He was probably getting, Easily into the third, fourth, maybe even fifth tiers. Um, but he never quite was at the level of a McGregor or a, you know, or what Masvidal became, right? With his run of finishes when he became a, uh, a bit of a star. And now you've got the situation where he's not losing, right? Which is is the ultimate star power drain is if you continually start to lose, but he's putting on these, these pretty boring fights and you've got to wonder, especially with UFC 276 fans walking out before the fight is over. A lot of harsh criticism from a lot of people. You've got to wonder if that's going to start affecting his ability to draw numbers, right? Um, we know that Whitaker versus Adesanya 2 did less than 400K buys. 
We know that from a report from the Sports Business Journal that said that Oliver, uh, Oliveira versus Gaethje was the highest pay-per-view of the year. Whitaker and uh, Adesanya had been before that. And Oliveira Gaethje was around 400K. Now, I'm also hearing, <clears throat> as a side note, uh, I saw an article, I believe it was posted in RMMA, um, about 400K buys for UFC 276. I have not been able to confirm that number. I have reached out to Sports Business Journal for a comment on it because the article says they quote Sports Business Journal. I've not been able to confirm that number. So I wouldn't take that number with uh, without a grain of salt. But if that's true, then yeah, I mean, that's, again, showing how much it's dropped. Now, you also have the big increase in terms of the pay-per-view price now being $75 uh, domestically in the U.S., $80 total, basically, because or more than that, because I think ESPN Plus went up. So a lot of money now for pay-per-view, so that's understandable. But in terms of what it means for the UFC and ESPN that this is happening, UFC, again, doesn't affect that much. It's not good for business. You're missing out on an opportunity on if Adesanya became this megastar, right? But that's out of the UFC's hands. Despite what a lot of people say, there is a limit to what marketing can get you in terms of becoming a star. So even if the UFC was full on pushing Izzy, you know, with everything they had, which they semi are, to be honest, uh, they've backed him for quite a while. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a crossover star, right? Um, it, it's There's only so much in their control. The opportunity cost is there in terms of if Izzy was knocking people out with flashy knockouts and, you know, talking this trash and doing all that. Yeah, they would get more money because one would assume pay-per-view buys go up, they get their cut, they can do bigger fights, that type of thing. Sure. More sponsorships, sure. But they're not really hurt by this because of the deal they have with ESPN now, right? <clears throat> In terms of ESPN, however, this does affect them. This affects Disney ESPN because those greater pay-per-view buys, ESPN relies more on them for revenue than the UFC. And at this point, ESPN is still in the midst of transitioning to ESPN Plus and trying to make that, you know, their new everything. I mean, I would say in probably 10 years, 10 to 15 years, ESPN as a terrestrial cable channel might still be around if enough people stick with cable, but will be mostly mostly dead and ESPN Plus will be the new big thing that will replace it, right? That's just the way everything is going. You know, terrestrial cable is dead, everybody's streaming. It's just how it is. Barring some crazy new technology or something else happening. Um, but they want as many pay-per-view buys as they can get and it does help them because their revenue is not nearly 
as, as in good shape as the UFC, right? As people cut the cord more with cable, their, their revenue is, is being impacted pretty harshly and it's expected to decline over the, it's not a growth industry. It's, it's going to be a declining one. So they are making this transition to ESPN plus. Again, that's a huge part of why they acquired the UFC rights and they paid so much is, is to bolster ESPN plus subscriptions, which they're very happy with based on, all the information that we've heard, but they still want a lot of pay-per-views and they need the money much more than the UFC does. So it does hurt ESPN's bottom line a little bit, but again, only so much in the sense of they, one, don't control the UFC, right? They just put on the fights. So they never want to have somebody you know, having a lackluster performance, but they also never, they're not going to, you know, have control out of that, over that, right? Um, they, they cannot control which fights are made and they can't push first. They can't have a president of ESPN call is you have and be like, you've got to get a finish. You know, no, they have no power there. Um, it could affect things in terms of the, negotiation of media rights when that comes due in 2026, which we'll talk about here later on, but most likely it won't. Um, and, and this is one fight in a sea of overall body of work, right? When ESPN evaluates whether or not they want to bid for UFC media rights, you have to look at the entire, entire body of work and yes, if Adesanya was a giant crossover superstar, that would be a huge, that would be a big factor to take into consideration, but otherwise it's, it's, you know, the same as it ever was in terms of, okay, this is the overall, you know, ratings we're getting. This is the overall uh, pay-per-views we're getting from a average standpoint over the course of these years, uh, these quarters, et cetera, et cetera. (coughs) So, one event or one person isn't going to make or break anything here. So a little bit, I guess. More so than the UFC, but not really. Uh, so, apologize. With that in mind, what about Izzy's drawing power, star power? Well, yeah, it affects him quite a bit. Um, it's bad for his own business, really. Israel Adesanya has made a name for himself with a lot of trash talk, a lot of theatrics, right? Um, UFC 276, he walked out with the Undertaker's urn. It was a whole thing. And when you do that, when you set up your brand as, I'm this guy that's the best in the world, I'm going to knock you out. And he kept saying these pre-planned one-liners about like Frozen and Elsa and all this stuff, right? which is a little bit forced and you can kind of tell, but when you set yourself up like that and you brand yourself as this, you know, this cocky champion who is going to go out there and knock you out and you're not even going to see it coming and just going to outstrike you and, and destroy you, you have to back it up. I know Chris Pratt recanted on uh, his criticism after Izzy like, 
tweeted something about it because his feelings were hurt. But he, Chris Pratt was pretty spot on in terms of you can't go out there and do these theatrics and try and build your brand as this is your image and then have those styles of fights like you did with Kennedy. That is bad for your own business. It, it, it does not work. And that, I mean, you've, you had a lot of fans boo. You had a lot of fans leave. You, I say after this past fight, even though this isn't his most boring fight at all, right? Um, Yoel fight, oof, uh, Whitaker too. A little bit more strategic, I guess. But man, I would say that was more boring than this one. Um, yet you have probably the biggest wave of fan criticism I've seen um, against Adesanya himself, right? During those other two fights, I heard, oh, I thought maybe, you know, Rob or UL won or, oh man, that was a crappy fight, but not any criticism directed specifically at Izzy. This time around, I'm hearing much more, oh, it's Izzy's fault, all of this, even though Cannoneer is complicit too, right? Again, to have that style of fight requires two people to fight the way that each of them did. But you can tell that there is a frustration um, from the fans and media in terms of this big talk and all these theatrics and then not delivering and and consistently not delivering, right? Vittori, he did not deliver. Uh, Cannoneer, he did not deliver. Whitaker, too, he did not deliver. It, it's been a lot of boring decisions. And he's trying to brand himself as this huge star knockout guy. It, it's that dissonance is hurting his brand quite a bit. Now, I don't think he'll lose sponsorships or anything like that. Um, but will it help him get new sponsorships or new deals done? I don't know. I would say it probably hurts him. And I'd be very curious to see what the actual pay-per-view buy numbers were this time around, if we can get a confirmation on that. And then the next time he's on a card, A, if he's headlining, I don't think they'd demote him but you never know to a, to a co-main. Um, and then B what the pay-per-view vibes would be like that going forward, because it certainly feels like this is a tipping point where fans are finally like, Oh, Adesanya is boring and sucks. They went from being like, yeah, he's, he's great. And he's, you know, he's so cool, all this stuff. And they kind of put up for with it for a while. And it certainly feels like now those fans that were more casuals, have kind of tipped over and said, man, this sucks. Like, why did I spend my time watching this? I had several friends who don't normally watch MMA, watch UFC 276 because it was a stacked enough card and only harsh criticism for us. I'm like, man, that sucks. I, I can't imagine if I go to them and say, hey, you want to buy an Izzy pay-per-view next time he's on? They'd be like, oh, yeah, sure. No, they, they almost certainly would not. That's anecdotal, right? So... Always have to take that with a grain of salt, but certainly feels this is a tipping point for his brand and for his image. I still think he can recover it if he, you know, goes on his next fight and really is aggressive and gets a huge finish and, you know, says like, this is the Izzy I've been, et cetera. I, he's not so far gone that people are going to write him off. Uh, there's still, again, a bunch of media and fans who are, diehard supporters of his that would easily help prop him back up if he goes out next time and gets a finish. But his brand is the one that's impacted the most. 
in terms of overall bad for business on the grand scheme of things, it's not that bad, right? We're in a different time than the McGregor Rousey era where you desperately needed those stars. Now it's kind of like, Oh, great. We have a star. That's awesome. Oh, we don't. Okay. Anyway. Right. That's the meme. Uh, so yeah, it's not bad for business in general, but his fighting style is definitely bad for business in terms of his own brand. He, he's, he's branding himself in a way that his fighting style does not back up. Let me know your thoughts on this. Uh, do you think Izzy's fighting style is bad for, again, his brand and for business? Do you disagree with me? Agree with me? And are, are you excited to watch another Israel Adesanya fight? Let me know in the chat. I want to know if people are like, yeah, I'll still want to see him. Uh, one of the best technical strikers or, oh, no, man, I'm not paying for that. <laughs> Right. Well, let, let's back that up in terms of because I know several people aren't paying for things nowadays. If you had the money, would you buy a Israel Adesanya pay-per-view right now, given that performance? Let me know because I'm very curious to see your guys' thoughts. All right. So the next thing we've got to talk about here is Endeavor is buying OpenBet, the sports betting tech platform, for a reduced price of $800 million instead of the $1.2 billion they announced back in September. According to an article here on Yahoo, a new price was detailed in a Thursday afternoon SEC filing. Uh, The financial breakdown of the deal is changing was originally $1 billion in cash and the rest in Endeavor shares. It is now $750 million in cash with $50 million in stock. It is expected to close by the end of 2022. So, First, let's let's talk about what is OpenBet. Um, best way to describe it is it is a backend data aggregation platform that helps bookmakers set their odds. Right? It basically takes all of this data, um, analyzes it together, and says, "Hey, this is probably where you should be setting your odds in this range." It's from what I understand. Um, if you know Sports Radar, that's probably one of its biggest competitors. Um, can't think of another competitor off the top of my head, but it's it's basically a bunch of stuff happens on the back end when you go to a Vegas sports book or if you're on your mobile app, right? Um, like MGM, whatever, uh, and you're betting something, a bunch of back end stuff goes into calculating those odds. This is the platform that does a lot of those calculations and gathers the raw data so that those decisions can be made. Um, the plan here, why Endeavor is buying this, right, is they have IMG Arena, which is its existing uh, sports betting platform, and they're going to pair it together to make IMG Arena much more powerful, right? Right now, IMG Arena is already working with hundreds of sports betting vendors around the globe. Uh, you pair it with OpenBet, it strengthens the platform quite a bit. It allows for new offerings and services. Uh, according to this Yahoo article, uh, IMG Arena would combine, well, and really according to Endeavor CFO Jason Lubin back in September, uh, OpenBet and IMG Arena would combine to form a new fourth reporting line that would start with $340 million in annual revenue. Yeah, that's a huge boost to Endeavor's portfolio, especially with some of their other things floundering right now and with interest rates going up and their debt and interest payments becoming much, much higher. This is to bolster that part of the business. We've talked about this endeavor um, 
environment ecosystem that they're trying to build. This is a big part of that, right? You can pair IMG Arena with OpenBet, uh, pair it and make it you know a huge part of the UFC sports betting odds and all that stuff. Package that in different ways to sell to hundreds of different sports books at a particular price per month. Makes sense. $340 million in annual revenue is nothing to scoff at, right? Um, so again, the the idea here is to really compete with Sports Radar. And it says in this Yahoo article, Genius Sports, that's the other one, um, which are the two biggest names in back-end sporting uh, betting services. It would give them a fair amount more market share, especially with their unique offering of owning the UFC as well, I'm sure. It would put them in a good position. It's it's a classic acquisition that should strengthen your ability to take away market share. Now, why are they buying it for 400 or is it for $600 million less? <laughs> yeah, $600 million less than originally stated. Um, the market's changed quite a bit it is the easiest answer, right? Uh, betting platforms in general have been getting hammered. Um, it, it's been rough. Endeavor's stock has been down, sure, but every everybody's stock has been down for the most part compared to the previous highs that we saw um, at the end of 2021. No, the market is, is shifting. And... If you are light and wonder, right, and you're trying to get this deal done, when you're in the middle of closing a deal, if the market shifts like that, you have to adjust. It's very much like, in some ways, like real estate, right? If you're selling a house and uh, you have a, let's say you're selling a house for, I don't know, these days, 500 grand, right? Uh, send yourselves 500 grand and you've begun the process of kind of closing, but it's going to be a long close. It's going to be a whole ordeal. And then all of a sudden the housing market drops out, right? The bottom just falls out. Uh, suddenly what you listed as $500,000 now is being told on Zillow and all these other places. It's like 350. I mean, that's, that's a bit of a stretch, but I mean, it's comparable here. Um, like it's a huge, right? Say it's 2008 recession type scenario where all of a sudden it just falls apart. It, you ideally want to keep that deal alive, right? And work with the buyer because the buyer is going to start to scoff and say, I'm not paying top dollar for this now. But it probably makes more sense to kind of work with the buyer to find a new price than to say, okay, deal's off and then try and go off and sell yourself for 1.2 billion in a market where you know you're, or in this case, 500,000, sorry, metaphors are getting all mixed up here. You get what I'm saying. Makes sense to work with the buyer and reduce the price than to try and go out into the marketplace when conditions are bad. Cause it's gonna, it's gonna delay your ability to get a deal done and you may get less money, right? Or the same amount that you would have if you had just kind of worked with the original buyer. Uh, so yeah, sorry, crappy metaphor there. Uh, again, my brain is all over the place, but, um, but the gist of it is that is it's, it's probably easier for light and wonder to take the hit on the cost now and 
get the deal done than to go back into the marketplace and try and sell at a higher price. Um, maybe they would attract, you know, uh, attention from one of the two big companies there, Sports Radar or Sports Genius or Genius Sports rather, uh, because they've now seen that Endeavor's trying to get into the game, but probably still not worth it at that price because they've already got a lot of the same capabilities. Whereas Endeavor's trying to break into the market, they need those capabilities. So they're still going to pay a premium, right? I do not think that Endeavor is getting like the deal of a century here. They're still paying a premium for this service. I'm almost positive. It's just a lower premium than what they originally said because the market's turned. And that's that's just unfortunately how it goes in business. If if the overall market turns while you're getting a deal done, sorry, man. That's just how it works. Um, unless you've got contracts in place or you're working to close a deal extremely fast, which no $1.2 billion deal ever gets closed fast or has these types of contingencies in place, right? That's where all of a sudden you're locked in, you're good to go. It's not like buying a house in that regard of, oh, no, you signed this. Like, that's, you know, that's not how it is. Um, yeah, I mean, that it's market turned and they've got to kind of eat eat the change. That's, that's why they're getting at a discount. So it's great for Endeavor because they're paying less, uh, quite a bit less than they originally were going to, but it's, you know, it's not a steal of the century. Let me put it that way, right? They still have to pay a premium, acquire these capabilities, integrate these capabilities into the IMG arena system, which will take a while. And then they have to try and take market share, which with the market being in a bad place, that's going to be an uphill battle too for Endeavor. So that's what's going on with all of that. If you have any questions around how that all works or anything uh, that I mentioned in terms of the acquisition and stuff like that, let me know. Um, but th this is kind of a standard acquisition in a down market. So Endeavor gets a discount, which is great, but you know it's still still an uphill battle for them and they're still paying a premium for the service. All right, next thing we're going to talk about today is PFL salaries. So Georgia Athletic Commission did reveal uh, disclosed purses for fighters. Shout out to Georgia for still doing this because a lot of commissions don't anymore. And you've got salaries that range the gamut, uh, some making as little as 10,000 or, you know, 13,000, others making up to 750, which is what Anthony Pettis got uh, for his last show out. Uh, so you've got Pettis at 750K, Kayla Harrison at 500K, uh, Murray McDonald at 250K. I mean, Certainly seems top heavy, right? Um, in terms of you, you've got you've got a couple of middle salaries here, like four hundred or I'm sorry, forty nine thousand to show, forty nine thousand to win for Bubby Jenkins. Uh, Lance Palmer is an eighty five thousand to show, eighty five thousand to win, um, and that's from PFL five. Uh, Antonio Carlos Jr., former champ, is forty nine to show, forty nine to win, which is a little surprising. Uh, Jeremy Stevens, 100K to show 100K to win. That's probably more money than he made in the UFC almost assuredly. Amari Akhmedov, 103 to show, 103 to win. Whereas Natan Schultz, former champ, 75 show to 75 to win. Here's what these, these payouts tell us. And we'll also talk about Kayla, 
Harrison's uh, free agency a little bit too, right? <clears throat> is these payouts tell tell me that essentially if you were a ranked fighter in the UFC, you had name value, right? Jeremy Stevens, uh, Anthony Pettis, Rory McDonald, <clears throat> you're getting paid at a higher rate, a much higher rate than Omar Akhmedov had a rating, sorry, ranking uh, next to his name. You're getting paid a much higher rate of pay than if you are a homegrown PFL star, right? The fact that Lance Palmer and Natan Schultz both made less money than to show and win than Jeremy Stevens and Omari Akhmedov, um, that, that's very telling to me. That shows me that where the PFL sees value is getting former UFC guys with names that they believe will be able to draw in more UFC-focused viewers, the hardcore MMA fan let me back up. Not the hardcore, hardcore MMA fan base, but the UFC level of viewers, which are basically viewers who only watch UFC, don't watch Bellator, don't watch PFL, don't watch LFA, any of those guys. This is an attempt to get some of those UFC hardcores to flip over and say, well, you know what? I want to see Jeremy Stevens fight. Or, oh, Anthony Pettis. Yeah, sure. Pettis being the, the biggest one by far, right? 750K, he was a former champ in, in the UFC, uh, went out on a win, uh, I believe a win streak in the UFC. Big name. Makes sense they're going to pay him a fair amount of money, but 750K, that's more disclosed money than their homegrown star, Kayla Harrison, who is by far PFL's biggest homegrown draw. So it, it's clear to me that what the PFL is Putting emphasis on is getting name value to draw in some of the UFC hardcore audience, which is not a bad call, right? We've talked about how PFL's ratings have not been the best on terrestrial ESPN. Um, we don't know their ESPN Plus ratings. Again, I've heard that they are good um, and ESPN is happy with them, but I, you know, I, I cannot confirm that 100%. And we, we've seen at least from a media perspective, that a lot of PFL content doesn't generate the same type of viewership or clicks or any of that stuff as Bellator UFC. It just doesn't. It's not a knock on PFL. It's just, it's a new company. It's going to take a while, right? That happens. This is an attempt to get more of those UFC viewers and to grow the fan base. Kayla Harrison is... is undoubtedly the PFL's most important asset, but they are at a point where they need outside viewership in order to help her star grow, right? They've kind of hit a ceiling with having her fight just women in the PFL. This will help get her more attention. I believe that's the strategy in the long play, right? Uh, is this will help get her more attention as well as the format and everything else. Uh, but for those of you out there, I guess, that are saying, oh, Kayla was paid less than Anthony Pettis. That's ridiculous. One, this is disclosed purses. Uh, so there could be incentive pay in the back end that 
you know, Harrison might be making more money in a previous reported uh, story. She was making around 1 million a fight. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is 500 K base. And then she gets other incentives that add up to a million per fight that aren't being talked about here. Um, but it's clear that she is not drawing the viewership needed to take PFL to the next level on her own. And again, that's not a knock against her. It's it's a situation where she's kind of hands are tied behind her back. The only two people that can really elevate her easily into the more casual viewer uh, fan space or draw in a lot of those hardcore UFC fans is Amanda Nunes or Chris Cyborg, which she is openly stated. Those are the only two that she really wants to fight to, to up her legacy. Cyborg's in Bellator, Nunes in the UFC. It becomes an issue in terms of, of taking her to the next level. Um, and the PFL can't do much about it, right? They can't, they can try and work with Bellator, which it sounds like there's, semi trying to do that i mean there's been some back and forth on social media about that um i don't know if pfl and bellator will get a deal done or not but it sounds like at least there's some openness to have that done the ufc will never do a cross-promotional fight right um but the pfl is limited in what they can do in that regard to help increase her name value and increase her star power and again keep in mind they really are focusing a lot on Kayla Harrison. It, it's clear to me based on the amount of media attention she's getting, uh, the, you know, the focus on some of the broadcasts, they're hoping she's the star that can elevate them as a whole. And she's kind of hit a ceiling here by paying this premium for former UFC champs or, you know, title contenders or ranked fighters. They're hoping to get more people watching to help elevate Kayla star and help starting that conversation of, Oh, well, Kayla's the best in the world. She hasn't fought cyborg Nunes. Well, yeah, but I mean, clearly she's dominating. She's doing all this, right? It, it starts to, to send that question out there. It gets Nunes and cyborg in a position of, Oh, well, I want to prove that I'm the best. So I have to go beat her. It, it's all part of the larger plan here, which is to, get Harrison to the next level of stardom and help elevate the brand as a whole. But I mean, if I'm, you know, Lance Palmer or Natan Chil, I'm not going to be super pleased about these salaries, right? Omari Akhmedov comes in and is making more than a former two-time champ. Ooh, that's, that's not great, but it is what it is. That's what these salaries tell me here. That's why Pettis is getting paid more disclosed than Harrison because they're hoping they bring over more viewership in terms of, you know, the willingness to pay the premium for this stuff too. It's, it's clear to me again, uh, another reason why PFL really has Harrison as one of their centerpieces is if you remember in the story, I think came out in the New York times recently about Kayla Harrison's free agency, UFC offered her a deal that was, I guess, not what she expected, but I, UFC was never going to pay, you know, 500K for Kayla Harrison. Bellator offered her a much better deal 
and then PFL matched it, which means Bellator was willing to pay Harrison around 500K, it sounds like. Maybe even a little bit more, depending on incentives and all that, but according to free agency discussions that were reported by the New York Times, UFC came in with a lower offer, Bellator beat it, and then PFL matched Bellator. That tells you how much of a commodity that Harrison is, but also how much the PFL is willing to pay to keep Harrison around. They know she's their ticket or yeah, they know she's their ticket to elevating everything as a whole. And, you know, in terms of having the UFC fighters coming over and drawing more ratings, uh, I mean, PFL's last terrestrial ratings were great compared to what they used to be. Right. Um, I think there were two or 300 K something like that. I mean, that's way better than the 140 K or 70 K that they had before. So it seems to be working in some regard, right? Um, they also have that weird thing where they, they've had most of their events on different days, which is strange, right? Like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. but regardless, one could infer, especially if the ratings keep going up over average, that that strategy is working. Paying premium for Pettis and McDonald and Stevens and Akhmedov is working and getting more more eyes on the PFL. It's not a a bad strategy. And it's really all the PFL can do at this point, right? They've gotten bigger sponsors, which is great, and they'll continue to go off and get more sponsorships. But in terms of their their format, right, they are kind of not hands tied, but they're they're set. They're set in what they do. So the only way you can elevate yourself as a brand is to get stars to then compete (coughs) within that format and, and bring more attention to, to the company. This is how they do that. Cause Harrison can't fight, you know, anybody, I mean, Julia Budd was supposed to fight Harrison, right. And then got injured. That would have been helpful, but that's probably the biggest name that Harrison can, can go after outside of, Cyborg and Nunes. Will PFL end up doing a super fight with Cyborg versus Harrison? I would imagine they're going to, right? Because they're doing the pay-per-view super fight division. That's when they're going to go all out, I would imagine, to get a deal done with Bellator. But um, beyond that, I mean, there's, there's no other way to help them. There's no other way for them to help Kayla Harrison get to the next level, right? They have marketed her and and pushed her as hard as possible. She's been doing what she needs to do, which is winning dominantly. It's a matter of she needs to beat competition that other MMA or casual fans know and do so in, in emphatic fashion. If she goes out there and she dominates Chris Cyborg – that's going to elevate PFL to a whole new level. Harrison for sure, but it should also elevate the brand. That's all they can do. My guess is they'll continue to sign several former UFC guys as they become available or Bellator names. Um, and then they'll continue to pay a premium for them until things kind of level out, right? If PFL really starts to gain momentum uh, and they're, they have more natural growth, then I think you'll start seeing all salaries getting more in line um, regardless of, of tenure at the UFC or Bellator. 
I think that will that will probably be a cost cutting measure because again, this is still a startup, right? They're still going out after investors and getting more money in fundraising. You can't keep paying former title content like Roy McDonald getting 250k, great, but that's I mean that's more. I mean Pettis, right? That's that's Mark Hunt, Alistair Overeem money from the old uh, Pride strike force buyouts like that's that's huge that's more than several ufc champions make as a flat base you can't keep paying that out though if you're not bringing in at least you know a a fair amount of revenue it's just too much so it will even out eventually i think but this is more just growth strategy it's yep we're gonna burn we're gonna be in debt we're going to do all of this, uh, but we're taking your money in order to acquire these bigger names to get more eyes on our format, on Harrison, and to then elevate the brand. And it will come back tenfold once we get going. I'm almost sure that's the that's the pitch that Don Davis and crew are are going out and telling investors. And it's it's not a bad call. There's not much else PFL can do here. So that's what I think about their salaries. Let me know your thoughts on some of these payouts. Are you surprised by them? Uh, do you think it makes sense to pay somebody like Anthony Pettis, who's kind of, you know, been win loss a couple times now, um, 750k per show? Uh, same with Rory McDonald. You, some of these guys that didn't make the playoffs last year. Do you think it makes sense to pay them that much? Let me know in the comments your thoughts on all of this. But yeah, it's intriguing. It definitely is, and hopefully they keep keep fighting in Georgia and other places where we can see these disclosed payouts. So we at least have some idea of what fighters are making. All right. Very quick, quick hit section. A uh, couple things of note. Uh, Carl's jr. Is going to be the official burger of the UFC in Australia, and New Zealand. Uh, that's pretty tight. It's pretty amazing. Um, it's will run until uh, the end of 2022. Um, Let's see, in this this PR Newswire, uh, known for their bold, craveable burgers, Carl's Jr. is launching a full creative campaign with a mix of local, national media across traditional and digital channels, including social media and print. Uh, limited edition UFC-inspired burger will launch in celebration of this iconic partnership. Uh, official burger of the UFC. Uh, man, it's just... It's something else. Um Let's see, Mike Woida, president of International at CKE Restaurant Holdings, which is who owns Carl's Jr., uh, says, as we continue to grow our business in Australia, we look forward to getting our delicious burgers in the hand of UFC fans across the region and around the world. Um, Pretty amazing. Uh, So, yeah, that's an interesting interesting partnership. Uh, Let me know what you think the name of the burger will be. If somebody gets it spot on, I will send them, or close enough spot on, I will send them a gift. Uh, there are so many options, right? Do you think it'll be, I mean, it's New Zealand, Australia. You think it'll be an Izzy-inspired burger? Uh, do you think it'll be like the knockout with like extra, I don't even know, like barbecue sauce and tons of onion rings? Let me know. But either way, uh, interesting, interesting sponsorship there. And again, just showing the creativity of the UFC sponsorship team. Um, next Killcliff FC, which used to be Sanford MMA uh, in terms of the training camp, has rebranded um, to now Killcliff FC. And it's a sports... I'm trying to... 
if I understand this correctly, it's a CBD energy drink, which I don't know enough about CBD. I thought CBD was supposed to like calm you down and then energy. It seems, seems to be contradictory, but again, I'm an old man, so I probably just don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but so they have gotten a rebrand. Uh, they will now be Kill Cliff FC instead of Sanford MMA, sponsored by the energy drink, obviously. This is interesting because it's a fight camp getting a sponsorships. I mean, that's not a bad call, right? <clears throat> would not be shocked to see more fight teams going out and getting these sponsorships and getting paid for gear, getting paid for you know training services. Sanford MMA has one of the best facilities I've ever seen. And that's again, because of the Sanford sponsorship, like it's not shocking that sponsorship buys a lot of great equipment, a lot of great things. I would expect more fight teams to do this. I'm surprised more haven't. Uh, yeah, I mean, makes sense. But yes, Kill Cliff FC, which is, yeah, something else. Uh, last quick hit is the PFL playoffs in the UK. PFL has announced they're going to do at least two dates in the UK for PFL playoffs. This is interesting because there's still that WSOF global lawsuit out there saying that they have the rights to the PFL logo brand and all that stuff outside of the U.S. and that the PFL is only allowed to have so many events internationally. Um, I'm assuming that it's, I think the last I read was three. So either way, I'm assuming that these two events would fall within that exception. But with the WSOF global lawsuit still going on, um, it's interesting. It's definitely interesting to see how it all plays out because if the PFL continues to do international events and they start to expand that more, right, which they, they're starting to get an international presence. They're getting more, you know, feel like they want to push Brendan Laughlin, um in the UK. Um, they, they're starting to kind of branch out globally here. I think it'll be very, very interesting in terms of should they try to continue to have international events while this lawsuit is still out there? Something to keep an eye on, honestly. Last quick hit and a bonus, uh, because it happened right before I recorded this, is the plaintiffs in the UFC uh, antitrust lawsuit have filed a motion to essentially ask the judge what the status is of the hearing, because it's been over a year since we've heard anything from Judge Bulware, which is ridiculous. But here we are. Uh, so they've actually filed a motion to force the judge's hand and say, hey, what's going on? Whether or not uh, that motion is accepted and we hear something, who knows? Could be another year. I mean, it's it's crazy. That's our quick hit section. Let me know if I missed anything on all that. Again, if you can get close enough to the actual burger that will be released, I will send you a gift. Um, something small and non-monetary because I don't believe I'm allowed to do that. Uh, <laughs> but still, I'll get you, I'll shout out or something cool. Don't worry. I'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, and then, yeah, just let me know your thoughts on all these and if I missed any other small business tidbits. All right. Last thing we're going to talk about today is a fan question from a shy person who didn't, didn't want their name out there, so I will not put it out there. Um, but they asked an excellent question, which is, do you think the PFL is being invested in by ESPN as a hedge to losing UFC media rights? That's a great question. ESPN and UFC are very happy with each other right now, right? 
um, both getting what they want out of the deal, uh, both making a lot of money. But the media rights will come up in 2026. Uh, they'll start negotiating for new media rights as early as 2024, end of 2024, I believe. It's possible that UFC goes elsewhere. We've talked about some of the other groups like Discovery um, and, and Warner Media, as well as Amazon, some other places that are probably going to compete for the UFC media rights this time around, especially given how well they've done uh, in the past several years. If you remember from earlier this year, there was a report that Disney almost bought the UFC and they opted not to, uh, probably because of a branding thing, uh, as well as just, you know, overall fit and evaluation. They are kicking themselves most likely from a financial standpoint, uh, in terms of not buying the UFC, right? They would have made so much more money had they bought the UFC than what they're currently doing with the media rights deal through ESPN. It is certainly possible that much like how Amazon is kind of looking at one as, hey, trying to get into that market a little bit and using one championship to kind of ride the coattails of MMA and media rights and live sports rights, that ESPN is doing the same thing with PFL here. They're trying to build it up as a, I mean, ideally a true competitor, but they probably know that that's not going to happen. So instead, they're trying to build it up as an alternative that they can hopefully get at a cheaper rate and build up to the level where it's, it's still making them a lot of money. If the PFL were to take off, right? Really, really take off. Let's say Kayla Harrison beats Cyborg and Nunez. Uh, let's say that they acquire some giant UFC star, uh, McGregor, right? This is all crazy hypothetical. Say McGregor, or Diaz, Nate Diaz gets out of his contract and goes over to PFL. All of a sudden, PFL starts taking off. They're self-sustaining. I would not be surprised at all if Disney, if they got to a certain level, if Disney would make an offer to buy them. Not at all. Right now, for streaming services, live sports content is king. MMA has shown itself, especially through the UFC, to be pretty resilient now and, and, and lucrative. Now, whether or not it's, the UFC versus MMA, right, as a whole, that's a whole nother discussion in terms of what the UFC has been able to do building their brand. But even if the numbers aren't as great for these other promotions, that's not going to stop other companies from thinking they can build another UFC or an alternative to the UFC. PFL is actually probably the best product to do that with because it's the set term- tournament format. Uh, it's already got some big name investors. It's better with the Disney brand overall because it's less trash talk and craziness and more like, yep, this is just a straight tournament format. All that stuff uh, makes a lot of sense. And honestly, the more I dived into this and looked into it, I, I think, yes, I think this is probably partially why ESPN is, paying what they're paying for PFL and supporting it so much. I think a big part of it is they're 
essentially looking at, okay, if we can create something that even brings in, you know, a third or probably less, I would imagine even just a, you know, a 10th of the revenue the UFC brings in, this can be profitable for us. And we can kind of go with that. Now, I'm sure that ESPN is still going to fight hard to keep the UFC media rights, especially with how well they've done. Um, these next two years will be telling to see about, you know, the pandemic certainly boosted them. If the pay-per-view numbers continue to fall and get lower or ratings start to dip, um, I mean, that could be an issue where maybe they, they don't compete as hard. But I can't imagine right now that they don't pull out all the stops to keep the UFC on ESPN plus, especially while they're still trying to go after other uh, sporting rights to help build out ESPN Plus's portfolio. The, I mean, the UFC is their, their keystone right now. So I'm sure they'll still go after that, but it makes a lot of sense. ESPN would try and use the PFL as kind of a, a side bet hedge slash pet project to hopefully grow into something that w- they would be able to, to buy. I, I would not be shocked, again, if that's a part of the strategy, is let's prop the PFL up, let's give them the support they need, let's push them. If their business can continue to grow, if it can get to a level where it, it's really starting to turn you know, into the black and profitable and gaining notoriety... That's not the right word for it. Sorry, COVID brain. Uh, gaining, gaining traction. Then, yeah, I, I mean, that makes sense. That that's a good side project to be working on. We'll see how the PFL does numbers wise and how things continue to progress for them. But if they keep getting bigger name sponsors, if they start to you know again bring in big revenue, yeah. Disney will be more focused on the PFL because they can buy the PFL or make an offer to buy the PFL for much less than the media rights are for the UFC. And even though, you know, let's say they buy the PFL, they lose the UFC media rights, that still hurts their bottom line, sure. But if the PFL is at a level where they're still bringing in people and then are actually growing, that's not a terrible thing, especially given where ESPN Plus is now in terms of subscriber growth and all of that. So, yeah, I think it is a hedge. I think it is a hedge as well as a, a side pet project. Um, ESPN's still going to fight tooth and nail for those UFC media rights. But yeah, it's a great question. And yes, I believe that that's a that's a good insight there. I really think it is a hedge to to kind of help you ESPN in case they lose the media rights for the UFC. All right, that wraps up another episode of the Fight Business Podcast. Appreciate you guys for listening. Sorry about the sniffling coughing. I've just been sick, but I wanted to make sure we got an episode out there. Let me know your thoughts, comments on all this. If you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, bell notification. If you're listening on audio, appreciate you guys as always. Until next time, get money and stay healthy, y'all. Sucks being sick.